Welcome to episode 52 of From the Front Porch, a collection of conversations on books, small business, and life in the South. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia, and today I'll be recapping my favorite books of 2015. Before we get started, I did want to offer you two different ways you can support both the bookshelf and the podcast. Um, The first is by subscribing to the bookshelf's weekly newsletter. So each week I compile kind of what is happening in the shop, ways you can support the bookstore. Um, So this is a perfect newsletter, especially if you are a local listener. Um, It gives you up-to-date information about all the happenings going on at the bookshelf. So in a couple of weeks, we're having a book club fair. We've got an author event this week. So all kinds of fun things happening. And I'd love if you would subscribe to that newsletter and keep up with everything going on at the bookshelf. If you are a far away listener, that newsletter might not be for you. Instead, I've got another newsletter that features um, little essays that I write, plus reading recaps, just like you get here on the podcast, um, plus uh, my favorite findings from around the internet. So I will post a link to both of those. The first is the bookshelf newsletter, and then the second is called, conveniently, From the Front Porch, and it's just essays and reading recaps, um, so a little bit more personal and a little less um, bookstore related. So it's perfect for long distance listeners. But those two newsletters are great ways to support the bookshelf, um, to support what we're doing here on the podcast. And I'd love if you would subscribe to those. And I promise to keep um, those newsletters uh, brief, meaning they won't bombard your inbox. The bookshelf newsletter is once a week. And then the from the front porch newsletter is a little bit longer, but it is only once a month. So great ways to keep in touch with the bookshelf and what all we have going on. All right. Uh, I hope everybody is having a great 2016. I personally am thrilled um, to be in a new even-numbered year. I'm weird like that, and I really love even-numbered years. Some wonderful things have happened in my life during even-numbered years, so I've got my fingers crossed for 2016. Before, of course, we move forward, it's always good to take a look back and to evaluate uh, what's happened in our lives over the past year, and my husband and I always like to both make goals for the future, but also look back and see what we've accomplished in the past year. Similarly, for the bookstore, I like to take a look back and see my favorite books of the previous year. So um, I read 80 books in 2015, which I'm pretty proud of. I'm pretty excited about when you run a bookstore or probably when you have any job, it is, um, it is pretty difficult to find time to read. And I think the assumption is that because we work in bookstores or because I run a bookstore that I just read all of the time and that is my job. And unfortunately, that is not true. I spend a lot of time paying bills, organizing bills, paying taxes, um, doing all the stuff that nobody really likes to talk about. The good news, of course, is that I don't spend all of my time doing those things and I do find quite a bit of time to read and reading is certainly a perk of, of my job. So I was able to read 80 books in 2015. When I list my favorites today, I'm going to be listing books that were published in 2015. So at the end of the podcast, I'll try to just do a quick run through of some books that I read in 2015 that I loved, but were not published last year. Um, So, but the best of list is really going to cover books that were published in 2015. 
you can find this full list on our blog and I'll be posting a link to that in the show notes. So if you are listening to this and you don't have time to write down some of the books that I'm naming, I will make sure to post a link in the show notes of this full book list. Um, if you're a local listener, you can also find this list in the latest edition of the Thomasville Townie. So, um, without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. Okay, uh, my f- one of my favorite books of 2015 was A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara. You've probably heard me mention this, I'm sure, on the podcast multiple times. If you're in the shop, I like to talk about this book, though I am careful about who I recommend it to. The content is not for everyone. It's a, it's a hefty book. It's a 700-page novel written by Hanya Yanagihara. It's a book that sticks with you, too. Um, the content, like I said, is kind of heavy. You actually are given an inside look into these four male friends, and um, it kind of delves into issues of abuse and neglect, uh, and which sounds so horrific, and it is horrific, but I feel like this is an important book um, to read because those are things that happen in our world. And, and so Hanya Yanagihara kind of writes beautifully about some very tragic things. At its core, though, it's still a book really about these male friendships. And I believe when I very first read the book, that's kind of what I took away from it um, because there aren't a lot of books written about male friendships. And so I thought she did an excellent job of kind of delving into the male brain and investigating these the lives of these four friends and how they intersected. And and she also does a wonderful job of writing through the decades because we meet these four characters when they're in college and then we follow them into their 40s. And I love books like that anyway, um, but this particular author did a fantastic job of telling those stories through the years. Um, so I will say the same disclaimer that I said when I first read this book um, in the spring of 2015. This book isn't for everyone, meaning there is some sexual content that's pretty explicit, and then um, that abuse and neglect that I talk about, it is hard to read. But if you can stomach it, this book really is so powerful, and it has the power to do what the best books do, which is open our eyes to people maybe who are different from us or to things that maybe haven't happened to us but we need to know more about. And so... She manages, Hanya Yanagihara manages to do that without at all being preachy. This is just a beautiful novel. It was up for a National Book Award, so it was a finalist for the National Book Award in 2015. Well-deserving. If you've got the time to tackle this 700-pager, and if um, if you've got the wherewithal, then I really do highly recommend it. If you're a local, please see me before buying this book. I'd love to tell you if I think it's the right book for you. Okay, the next one's a little lighter. Um, Not every book I read was as deep or in-depth as A Little Life. Um, I read Everybody Rise by Stephanie Clifford. Stephanie Clifford is a New York Times journalist, which makes explain why I love her writing style. This is her first novel. It released, I believe, in the summer, and uh, my book club is reading it this month. But I read it uh, last year when it was an advanced reader copy. And if you know me very well, you know that um, cooking is a struggle for me. Not because I don't enjoy it or I'm not good at it, but, but because time is precious and cooking can seem like something I don't have a lot of time for, even though that's probably not true. Um, so that's a, an issue to resolve in 2016. It's a resolution I'm making for myself. However, one thing I did in 2015 that did help with the cooking issue was I would frequently, while things were baking in the oven or coming to a boil, I would read a book. 
And I am not, as you know, an audiobook listener. I wish that I was, but I am not. And so I would just take books that were advanced reader copies, meaning it was okay if they got a little uh, food on them. <laughs> I did not take books from the bookshelf and read them in my kitchen. Only advanced reader copies made their way into the kitchen. And Everybody Rise by Stephanie Clifford was one of them. And I remember because... I was on the verge of burning my dinner because Everybody Rise was so compelling and I so desperately wanted to know what happened to the main character. She is not particularly someone you want to root for because she continues to make really terrible mistakes, um, but I found myself very attached to the, to the character and to the decisions she was making. So even though I wasn't rooting for her per se, I did become really attached to her. So Everybody Rise it, um, takes place in New York if I'm not mistaken, it takes place kind of before the crash, so before 2008. Um, and this young woman has graduated college, and all of her friends are kind of these um, up-and-comers, these high-profile socialites, and this young woman is just trying to find her way in that world, even though she really doesn't belong there. And so I think this is a great coming-of-age novel. You know that I'm a sucker for stories about um, people who are in my same age bracket. I just love reading about people facing that middle, um, what is it, that quarter life crisis or um, people who are, I think I've mentioned The Clasp by Sloane Crosley, people that get together for reunions, that kind of thing I'm a sucker for. Everybody Rise has a little bit of that, but it's so well written. And and it's, I, I'm not going to say that it should have been a National Book Award contender like A Little Life. It's a very different novel. It's way lighter, a little bit fluffier, but you don't feel guilty when you're reading it. I put it in the same bracket as Curtis Sittenfeld, so if you enjoyed Prep um, or J. Courtney Sullivan's Maine, I, I put it in those categories. Um, just really enjoyable fiction. I can't wait till it releases in paperback because I think it'll be an even better seller in paperback than it was in hardback, although the hardback is beautiful if, you, if you've got the cash for it. Um, but the book is Everybody Rise by Stephanie Clifford. Um, I, really, I really recommend that one if you're looking for a quick page turner right now, like you need something to read right now. Go ahead and read Everybody Rise. Another book that I think you should read right now is Better Than Before by Gretchen Rubin. It certainly tops my 2015 best of list um, because it impacted or it had a great impact on my year. Um, I read Better Than Before when it debuted in March. I am a Gretchen Rubin fan. You know this. We've talked to her on the podcast, um, which was such an honor. I'm a fan of hers. I learned during Thomas County's One Book Festival, not everyone is a fan of Gretchen Rubin, so uh, lesson learned. However, if you are like me and if you enjoy self-improvement, personal growth, uh, better than before is for you. And here is what I consider to be the best news of all. I love Gretchen Rubin. I've liked all of the books I've read by her, but better than before is her best book. So if you read The Happiness Project and you thought it was okay, Please try better than before. I honestly think she hits she hits her stride in this book. I think she does some of her best writing, her best research in better than before. The book is essentially about habit building. So if you've read um, The Power of Habit, then you'll really enjoy this book. Um, it, it also delves into some personality types, not necessarily MBTI stuff, but she instead um, also categorizes people into four quadrants um, and based on how they tackle habit building. And I am, I believe, an upholder, um, which is somebody who 
really has no trouble setting goals and doesn't need too many outside influences. It's just a matter of doing them. Um, but they kind of do things because it's the right thing to do. Like basically your goody two shoes of the world. Um, I believe I fall into that category. Um, there's the rebel who kind of is the opposite of the upholder, right? They, they don't really enjoy doing things that people tell them to do at all. Um, and so habit building can sometimes be difficult for them. Um, I'm trying to think of the other two, um, but upholder and, um, oh, there's the obliger, which is somebody who, um, is, does things because they are asked to do them. So they will set habits if they know people are counting on them. So these are people who require some accountability. Um, maybe they can work out, but only if they are working out with a partner. Um, basically Gretchen tackles these four types and kind of tells how, best to get habits to suit your type. Um, and I think generally I'm an upholder, but I do think sometimes I fall into the questioner category, which is somebody who will do things, but they have to be explained, uh, why they're important. And so I feel like I'm an upholder slash questioner. Um, but if you love personality types, which clearly I do better than before is certainly a book that you will find interesting, but even more than that, there are really practical tips, but also, if you're like me and kind of like to know the science behind things, um, she, she clearly, as she has done in her previous book, she clearly has done her research and, um, this is just an excellent book and it's a really great book to pick up in the new year and good news for you. It just released in paperback. So I love the hardback. I think the cover is really great. Um, I bought it in hardback. I got mine signed. Um, but if you're not quite the fangirl of Gretchen Rubin that I am, no worries. Better than before was just released in paperback and really, truly it's a great book for kicking off a new year. Um, and really, one of my favorite books of 2015. You will also be familiar with this next book on the list, Go Set a Watchman by Harper Lee. We did an entire episode based on Go Set a Watchman and the hype kind of surrounding it. And I said it back then, and I'll say it again, I still am not sure how I feel about the events surrounding the release of Go Set a Watchman. Um, as a bookseller, I will tell you it was one of our best-selling books of 2015, and it really boosted business at a time when we needed it to. Summers are generally slow, and this book released in the heat of summer, and we had events surrounding it. And so I am grateful that this book was published, but personally, um, as someone who had an aging grandmother in her life and has one now, it is difficult to kind of imagine the events that surrounded the release of Harper Lee's book and kind of the controversy there about whether or not she wanted to publish it at all. That being said, I read Go Set a Watchman. I loved it. And I understand that I'm not in the majority there. Um, I know a lot of people read it or didn't read it at all because of the kind of the rumors and the assumptions that Atticus Finch isn't the hero we all imagined him to be back when we read To Kill a Mockingbird. Some of those rumors are based in truth. Some of those assumptions are kind of true. Um, but here's what I'll say. Go Set a Watchman is like the seed of To Kill a Mockingbird, meaning it's like what To Kill a Mockingbird began, um, began as. And as a result, Harper Lee's writing is clearly unfinished. It's clearly kind of sloppy. And yet the genius is there. Like you can see uh, you can see where Harper Lee got her start, and that is pretty incredible. To be able to kind of see a pre-edited version of To Kill a Mockingbird um, and to just read this raw talent of Harper Lee, that alone is makes Ghost Set a Watchman worth reading. But here's why I kept reading. Um, 
in the book, um, Scout is a 20-something, and her dad isn't what she always thought her dad was, and that doesn't mean, in my opinion, that Atticus Finch loses his heroic nature, but instead it makes him a flawed hero, and those, to me, are so much better. Um, and, And so I will never forget being a part of the release of Ghost at a Watchman as a bookseller if I had to quit this job in the next 12 months, I would always be able to say I was a part of the Ghost at a Watchman release. And I will never forget sneaking that book home and reading it in my grandpa's big blue recliner that I inherited. Um, he was kind of an Atticus Finch character himself. And I remember, I will never forget sitting in that chair and reading the whole thing straight through. I did never put it down. And I don't recommend reading all books that way. But I do kind of recommend reading this book that way. So if you've got a weekend, here you go. Uh, read Ghost at a Watchman if you can. And I understand if you can't because to, you're attached to Kill a Mockingbird, and I am too. Um, but I think for both its literary history and for a story about a father and a daughter, you can't beat Ghost at a Watchman by Harper Lee. I almost cried just thinking about it. It's so good. Um Okay, so that was obviously one of my favorite books of 2015. Moving into something a little bit different, Kitchens of the Great Midwest by J. Ryan Stradall, um, I think is how we're going to pronounce that. Kitchens of the Great Midwest, I have raved and recommended since it debuted. It's a debut novel. Um, Customers have come back to me, I I think, enjoying it, but maybe not quite being enthralled with it as I am. However, my customers who are originally from the Great Midwest... Love it. <laughs> so apparently I'm a Midwesterner at heart because my Southern readers kind of like it and they and they think it's well written, but they also think it's weird. And then my Midwestern readers love it. So take that um, take that information and use it to determine if you would like Kitchens of the Great Midwest. If you're a foodie, which it should be said, I am not particularly a foodie, but if you are a foodie, this one is for you. Um, I did have a customer come back and inform me there is some sexual content, so apparently I just skim right over that stuff. <laughs> um, but if if that bothers you, you know, be warned. Um, however, this book is so unusual. I truly read nothing like it in 2015. It was so original, and that is rare. Um, I feel like I can't even write anything original just because I'm consuming uh, things all the time, that my own writing doesn't feel very original. And so it's amazing that this kind of book um, could be published, and I feel like it was published to some acclaim And I'm very proud of that because I read this as an advanced reader copy. And so I feel like I helped discover it. (laughs) Um, So Kitchens of the Great Midwest really is about this young woman um, who becomes this great chef. And it essentially follows uh, all these different characters in her life and how they shaped her food history. And really, that's even more information than I want to give because I read this book, like I said, as an advanced reader copy, and I think that worked to my advantage. I knew nothing about this book, absolutely nothing. I just thought it had a cute cover. Um, And even now, the cover to me actually has very little to do with the content of the book, ironically. So um, I thought it had a cute cover, so I picked it up, read it, fell in love with it. I did have a customer tell me that... She read it and loved it. She's um, she's originally from Wisconsin, and so she loved it, but her fellow Southern book club members were a little more hesitant, and she said what she told her book club was, read this as a collection of short stories, and I think you'll find it a little easier to swallow. And so if maybe the disjointedness 
or or the fact that these characters kind of jump around, if that is unsettling to you or confusing to you, absolutely. Read this as a collection of short stories that then ties together at the end. But it is some of the best writing I read in 2015 and some of the most original content I read in 2015. So please, if you are from the Midwest especially, but even if you're a Southern, a Southern reader, I do think Kitchens of the Great Midwest, I stand by my original recommendation. I think it's fantastic and worth, worth your time for sure. Okay, and then my second um, National Book Award finalist uh, that I will second and recommend is Fates and Furies by Lauren Groff. You've already heard so much about this book, so there's not much more I can add except to say um, the hype is real. The hype is earned. Lauren Groff is an amazing writer. I don't understand uh, the Gone Girl comparisons. I think it's because we have a voice change halfway through the novel, Um, but otherwise the Gone Girl comparisons are bizarre to me. Fates and Furies is about a marriage, and it's the two sides to that marriage. And again, much like Kitchens of the Great Midwest, I just thought Fates and Furies was so original. Um, And despite the fact that we all know every marriage has two very distinct sides, we don't often get to read both of those sides. So many books are written from one one angle, and again, perhaps that's where the the Gone Girl comparisons come in. Um, But Fates and Furies impeccably written, beautifully written, and telling a story that I just haven't heard told from this perspective in quite some time. Um, So that's Fates and Furies by Lauren Groff. I'm not going to say much more because I think you've probably heard it already, Um, but just know if you're avoiding it because of the hype, don't. It's worth the hype. Uh, the next book that made the list, uh, I wanted to pick at least one YA novel. And the truth is, I read a lot of YA literature, but I don't remember most of it. So much of it runs together. Uh, and and I, uh, that's honestly just because I'm not um, a huge young adult fan. Um, my, my partner in crime, Rebecca, our manager at the bookshelf, she would tell you otherwise. She is an expert in YA literature and what makes the books um, different from one another. Unfortunately, I just feel like a lot of YA has the same type of plot. However, I am happy to report that I read Dumplin' by Julie Murphy at the end of last year, and it is fantastic. I absolutely loved it. Um, the protagonist uh, of Dumplin' uh, has been called Dumplin' all her life. She's a heavier set um, girl, a self-described fat girl, actually, if I'm remembering correctly. And she, uh, her hero is Dolly Parton. And that's really all I've been saying that you need to know. Um, but basically, uh, in this book, the protagonist kind of, she's in high school, probably, I think a junior in high school, and she falls in love for the first time. And for the first time, she's realizing that falling in love actually has made her less confident, not more confident. And so the book kind of follows follows that um, or takes that idea and runs with it eventually runs all the way into a pageant scenario and Dumplin' has entered a pageant and gosh this book is so funny so real um again the stuff about body image it, it's the book that I wanted Dietland to be so Dietland was a book I read I think early 2015 it's not one I've raved too much about because I, I didn't I didn't love it I thought it was really weird um and weird is good when it's good um but Dietland just I thought it was just okay I thought it had potential and turns out Dumplin' is what I wanted Dietland to be so um 
pick this book up, buy it. Uh, gosh, I, I have not bought it yet, but I really need to buy it because the cover's great um, and the story is wonderful. And I gave it away at my um, book club book exchange for Christmas. Um, I This is a book that I will give probably my traveling book club in the new year. Like this is a book I'm recommending to everyone. Um, I think it's a YA book, but with crossover appeal, which not all YA literature has, I know. But but this one I w- really would recommend to grown-ups, quote-unquote grown-ups, too. Okay, uh, the next couple of books I read were nonfiction. Uh, the first was Ghetto Side um, by Jill Levi. This, um, this I read early 2015. It's an important book. I said that about A Little Life. I'll say that about Ghetto Side, um, and I'll say that about the next selection as well. But um, by important, what I mean is I think these are books everyone should read, um, even if you don't want to. <laughs> and so Ghetto Side um, by Jill Levi, she is a journalist uh, for the Los Angeles Times, and she wrote about um, – she took – one particular quote-unquote ghetto side killing, which is when young one young black man violently takes the life of another. That's kind of what they call it. Um, and she takes that and she turns it into this really heartbreaking, fascinating look at um, gang violence and black-on-black crime and the cops who are trying to solve these crimes um, and prevent further crimes from being committed in this part of the country where I think the statistic is on the front of the book, but I think it's like one in three young black men die. Gosh, it, it was very high. I want to say every couple of hours in Los Angeles County, um, but I hesitate to say the exact statistic because I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, the rate of violence is so high and these innocent young black men are dying from gang violence. And I will tell you the story that has stuck with me all year because I read this book, I think, in February of 2015. Um, but the story that has stuck with me was this um, this black couple, and they had a son, and they actually sent him away. They sent him to his aunt and uncle's house, I think, in the Midwest somewhere. And they sent him there for his adolescence because they didn't want him to die. And they knew if he stayed at their home in Los Angeles County, he would die. He would get caught up in gangs or innocently die in a gang crossfire. And so they, they sent him to the Midwest to live with an aunt and uncle. And the day he moved back home, I think he was... I think he was 18, so he graduated high school and he moved back home, was getting ready to go to college. He was ready to make something of himself, and he died. Uh, he was shot because the color of his baseball cap was the color of a gang. Um, and I, that story has haunted me. And there has been so much talk about um, Between the World and Me, and I have not read that yet, I'm sorry to say. Um, it's one that I want to read immediately. But for all of the talk and the hype that book received, I think Ghetto Side is just as important. Um, and it's a very different writing style. You know, it's a journalist writing um, this kind of narrative nonfiction, I guess, um, which is some of my favorite stuff to read, but I know it's not for everybody. Ghetto Side stuck with me. It's important. I think you should read it. Um, that's Ghetto Side by Jill Levi, and she spells that L E O V Y. Um, the next book I read that I also think is important. Um, Although much 
I guess to some extent, some lighter content. The book is Tribal, College Football and the Secret Heart of America by Diane Roberts. Diane Roberts is a Florida State University professor, um, so this book might be fairly regional. However, the book is not about FSU football. The book is about football in general and how it has become a religion. If you were a Southerner, you need to read this book because football culture is big here and it is almost the same as religion. And Diane Roberts really um, tackles, haha, pun intended, uh, this in a in a fantastic, fantastically funny way. So you will laugh out loud, but you will also cringe because you know some of this stuff is because you know some of this stuff is true. Um, she has also done her research, so she's got great bits of history about various football teams, football programs, and she covers some really tough topics like rape culture and um, sexual assault and concussions and all kinds of things that we don't want to talk about because we like watching football on TV. So anyway, the book is Tribal by Diane Roberts. Again, it might be kind of regional, um, but the book is not just about Florida State football. It's not just about Southern football. Basically, if you're a football fan, um, I think you should be well-informed, and Tribal is a good place to start. Okay, and my favorite children's book of the year, <laughs> um, because I also wanted to include one children's book on this list, um, I love picking out picture books for the bookshelf, um, and I've kind of moved some of those duties over to Rebecca, but I can't let it fully go, so I still do a lot of the picture books, and she kind of does the children's chapter books. All that to say, Bug in a Vacuum by Melanie Watt is the best children's book I read in 2015. Um, I loved Book With No Pictures, but I think that technically released in 2014. And I loved uh, The Day the Crayons Quit, but I believe that was also a 2014 book. Bug in a Vacuum is hilarious. The pictures are amazing. Um, the illustrations are just out of this world. Um, but what I really love about it is it tells the story of this bug trapped in a vacuum. And then it uh, it follows the bug through the five stages of grief. And so it's incredibly funny. And yet, I think every children's school counselor should have a copy of this book on hand because it so realistically portrays and talks about these five stages of grief. It's wonderful. I absolutely love this book. If you're a children's librarian, please get copies for your store. If you're a parent, even if your child has not yet faced the five stages of grief, that's fine. This book is really funny. Um, you don't need the underlying message, but the underlying message is subtly there, and I love it. So Bug in a Vacuum by Melanie Watt. Look it up. You'll love it. I loved it. And that those are my top 10 books of 2015. Um, really quickly, just some honorable mentions, and again, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to this complete list, but... Books that I read in 2015 but were not published in 2015, Astonish Me by Maggie Shipstead. You've got to read it. I read Seating Arrangements, thought it was okay. Astonish Me is beautiful. Read it. I think you'll love it. Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. Probably my favorite book I read this year. Unfortunately, it was published in 2014, so I couldn't count it in my best of list. Um, I know... All the Light We Cannot See was so fantastic. But you guys, Station Eleven, if you haven't read it yet, please do. It's marvelous. Um, All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr. If you haven't read that one yet, what are you waiting for? Um, if you're waiting for the paperback, publishers aren't going to do that because people are still buying the hardback in droves. So go ahead, suck it up, get the hardback. All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr. 
Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng. Um, of these books, it's probably, quote-unquote, the easiest to read. Still wonderful. Still a great look at um, biracial um, families. It, it Gosh, it's so well-written. Read it if you haven't. You're gonna you're going to love it. And then Americana by Chimamande Ngozi Adichie. I think I butchered it that time. I get I could go in too fast. Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Um, it's it's wonderful. Great book club book. I did have a book club pick me up on that and uh, or take me up on that, and they did in fact read it, and the discussion was fantastic. So um, these are my favorite books of 2015 that just happened to be published in a different year. So. Um, Again, I'll post a full list of these to the show notes, um, but those are my favorite books of 2015, and I would love to know what yours are. So find us on Instagram, at BookshelfTville, Twitter, at BookshelfTville, Facebook, Bookshelf Thomasville. We'd love to know what your favorite books of the year were. Um, we'd love to add them to our own reading lists. As always, you can find full episodes of From the Front Porch at, on iTunes, um, and I will also put a link in the show notes to some other ways you can find us. Um, and you can check out more information about this bookshelf at www.bookshelfthomasville.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.